0: Hello and welcome to the Swift Coder's podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open-source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift coder journey. I'm your host Garrick, and today's guest is Arthur Sabinsev. Arthur is a lead iOS developer at the Washington Post, as well as the creator of many Swift and Objective-C open-source projects. Welcome to the show, Arthur.
1: Thanks. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a little while now. And, you know, thought it'd be fun to do this.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Thanks for hitting me up. Uh, I get that sometimes, like people, you know, just messaging me. And it's kind of nice because for a while there, when I first started the podcast, I'd have to be very active, like every day or every week, like contacting people. Like, hey, come on my podcast, come on my podcast. So now to have a mix of that and people contacting me, It uh, it makes uh, a life a lot easier, and so when you hit me up, I was like, okay, cool, like yeah, you want to be on the show, like I'm down. Like this isn't this podcast necessarily isn't about like, you know, I don't know, the most like you know famous people in the world or something like that. Although I just found out you made, uh, made an open source project that I just learned about last night, which we're going to get into. Like, uh, I've interviewed people who, you know, nobody knows about them, you know? And so it's like, I love getting a mix of people. And I thought you were interesting because like you work at the Washington post, which is like a pretty big you know institution. And so to have somebody that works at the Washington post hit me up, I'm like, okay, totally. I'm down. And then, um, and uh, then like just right now, just to learn that you make that guitar thing, which we're going to talk about. Like, I was just looking at iOS Dev Weekly last night, and I'm like, oh, this sounds interesting, like, working with strings. Like, yeah, there's, like, there's some issues, like, where I want to do something and I can't. And I'm looking at this open source project called Guitar. I'm like, this is pretty cool. And then just now, you're, I'm like, hey, yeah, so what what are some things you do? And you're like, yeah, I make this thing, Guitar, that was just featured. I'm like, what? You made that? Oh, man. So, anyways, long way of saying, like, super happy to have you on and just, yeah, welcome.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, I, uh, I have a, I might be a little bit different than some other developers where regarding podcasts where I, uh, I personally try not to listen to too many coding podcasts cause I feel like I spend, then I spend like most of my time just in Swift world and coding world. And so a little much, but you have a very different side of it where you get to like the human element and a lot of the people you've interviewed, I've talked to or met in the last five, six years. And it was nice to actually get more of their story over the last couple of months as I've been you- listening to your backlog.
0: Yeah, I think it's powerful. It's hard to do like a technical podcast. I think it's it's hard. There are some good ones. Um, but so the point that I wanted to, to make with this was to just like give mostly like beginners um, uh, something to feel like they're not alone or like to hear other people's stories to feel like they can do it too. And so that's really what we try to get. Um, from from the guest, and so that's what we're going to learn about uh, today with you. So you work at the Washington Post. Can you tell us about that? You're a lead iOS
1: developer, one of the lead iOS developers. What's that like? Uh, it's very very busy. Um, so our team is about thirty people, iOS and Android, about split down the middle between full time, contracts and um, between people who work on site in DC or on site in our offices in Reston, Virginia, or Manhattan and some of us work remote. Um, personally, I work remote 99% of the time from Baltimore, from a suburb of Baltimore. I come in when I need to since it's only an hour drive. And I have some developers that work in Colorado and I have another one coming, starting in Jersey in the next few months too. So it's, it's fun, it's nice distributed. It's like a little bit of everything. But the work we do is really interesting. We have right now um, three, cross, uh, sorry, three apps for news for different audiences all together. Um, we have our classic app, which is just our bread and butter. Uh, it's, it has a black icon. That's how we distribute. That's how we distinguish between the colored icons. We have our app that looks like a newspaper, like a physical newspaper, just on uh, tablets. And that now it works on phones as well. It's, um, it's universal as well. And that's, um, the white icon. And then we have one that was kind of inspired by Jeff Bezos since he owns our company now. Um to uh, it's a blue icon app. So it's more like short form news, um, more national, international news. So we have all these different types of apps that we support, but uh, me personally, I work on a completely new team um, called Arc Publishing. Um, so let's think about it like this. So Bezos started Amazon and it's eventually in Amazon, they forked off a lot of what they do into AWS and start selling a lot of the stuff they built in-house to you know third parties. And now power a good chunk of the web, as we saw this past week with S3 crashing. And right. uh, so we are doing the same thing with Arc Publishing. We build a lot of in-house publishing tools because we have a huge engineering team and bigger so since Bezos took over. Um, wow. So we are now selling off our server side stuff and our mobile stuff to third party publishers that don't aren't don't have big engineering teams or don't have any engineering teams at all. So we have a lot of clients. I can talk about some, but not all. But I'm essentially leading and managing that initiative on across iOS and Android. Uh, wow, that sounds so cool. So you're basically taking
0: all of these in-house tools that you, uh, you guys have built for the Washington Post for you know, you know, making you know, publishing, making it easier to publish, making it easier to distribute, whatever it is, and you're taking that and making it into a platform. Or like maybe a white label or something like that, private label. It's actually what Um, we call
1: it internally. That's what I call the app. It's the white label app.
0: So I'm a local publisher in Ventura County, and I want to take advantage of these tools so that I can, you know, just own the Ventura County news market, local news market, and like do a better job. I could use your tools to do that.
1: Yes. Uh, It's not as easy as just, you know, logging in and, you know, creating like like a WordPress site type of deal. Invol- it's, right now, we're still in the kind of the infancy. So you have to set up a whole SLA, you know, service level agreement. You have to, you know, kind of be. You have to be have some what of an audience. So if it's like a very very local newspaper with like a readership of like a thousand people, probably not for you because it won't be. It'll be out of your price range. But if you're something like, um, I guess one of our clients I can talk about is the Globe and Mail in Canada, which is like the Wall Street Journal of Canada. Um, they, they are one of our clients right now. It's what I'm working on right now. Something with them because they have a huge platform. They have their own software already, but their engineering team is, you know, really small at this point in time and they don't plan on increasing it to my knowledge. So they just hired us to build it out for them.
0: Some of my favorite programming is programming, uh, like reusable, you know, programs that are going to be used by. Um, other people to then, you know, make their own uh, or use it in their own way. So basically open source projects, even, I don't know something about that. I really love like the kind of generic, like reusable, it's, it's one of my favorite things about like object oriented design is the fact that like, you can make um, an Instagram for dogs, and you can make an Instagram for cats. um, But they're two different like, it's the same thing, but, you know, same, like, program, but, like, one person uses it, and, do uh, you, you get what I'm saying? Like I know the whole exactly user what you talking like, about. It's, it's, like, my favorite, one of my favorite parts. When I was first starting programming, I'd always tell Lucy, my fiancé, about it, like, it's amazing, like, what you can do. <laughs> and uh, so it sounds like that's what you're doing, in, in a way, and uh, that must be really fun.
1: It's, like you, it's my favorite type of problem to solve. By the way, congratulations on getting engaged. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've you're been welcome. engaged for, actually, three years, so. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> congrats
0: thank you so you said you work remotely 99 percent of the time yeah um so like let's say you go a week two weeks a month without going to the office or uh, the like- longest
1: i've gone in recent memory is about five weeks um but usually i try to go in at least once or twice a month like uh, so we also host a meetup, like the local Cocoa Heads DC is hosted by the Washington Post. So awesome. I at least, very least come in for that. Um, but, uh, and then when other, other of my coworkers come in town from remote that I work all the time with, they also come in t- into town as well. I, I'll, I'll come in and spend a, a couple of days there. I might come in a couple of days in a row. It's just the uh, traffic is a pain. Like 495 $4. is, I think, the it's the big beltway we have around DC. I think it's worse than LA traffic, to be honest, um, from what I've heard. So, like, imagine. I mean, I have to leave my house at five thirty in the morning to get to work, and then I'm, then I can't leave until about seven PM to get home in under an hour.
0: And so, you said that you are bringing on new employees, like one in Colorado. You said, or something so we like have one who's been
1: there for a year. Uh, this guy named Eric, so one really, really smart, sharp dev, um, a huge skill set. So he's been, he's based out in uh, right outside of Denver, and um, we have. An intern that is based out in Ohio right now that worked for us full time um, because part of his uh, college degree was to intern at a company, um, and then we have another guy who interned with us that we're bringing on. Uh, he's living in Jersey. I think he's going to be working remotely. I am not sure.
0: So you have a few, and we employees. have some others all
1: over the place too. And I am forgetting, but I don't work with them, you know, on a daily basis. But
0: you have like full time team members that are one hundred percent working full time. Oh, uh, remotely, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Wow, and you hired them? Um, they were interns, so at first they came to the office.
1: Um, not all of them were interns. One guy was a full stack dev that we hired last February. Um, he was not an intern. He was just we were just we couldn't find the type of developer that we wanted around here because we needed someone super super senior, and we had a hard time finding it, So we expanded our search to be more national, and then uh, you know he f- uh, he came across. And we interviewed him and. Pass with flying colors, and we took him on. But with regarding interns, we go to a lot of in the Delmarva Peninsula, so like Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, um, DC. We go to a bunch of um, college recruitment sessions, like for seniors, and we, you know, we fill our quota for interns. And then every so often, we um, we hire them. Some people that we really like, we ask them to stay on afterwards, and that's what happened this summer with one of our guys.
0: I guess one of the things I'm I'm interested in knowing is. You, The Washington Post or your team is willing to hire somebody that's remote only at the very beginning. Like uh, some companies might want them to come in at first and then after they establish themselves, like they can be remote. But you guys are down to just hire remote um, only at the very
1: beginning. We we have like somewhat of a litmus test for that. So regarding senior engineers, I mean, we... If we are considering you at that already at that point, that means like you, you've proven to us through a coding test and through like multiple interviews, like our interview process is very lengthy. Like you, you've essentially proven to us that we can trust you to work remotely. Um, and it, you have to be the type of person to do that that has a drive to be able to separate home life and work life, you know, be able to wake up in the morning, show up, especially in a different time zone, start a couple hours earlier, um, you know, to be able to do that. But as for interns, those, they're always on site at first and we see how they work for, you know, three months in the summer. And then we kind of sometimes we keep them through the you know their senior year because we hire them sorry we we find them during their junior years and we keep them on during their senior year uh, you know part time if they can and then we kind of extend the offer if we can it doesn't always happen it's happened a couple times since I've been here but
0: so what what does the work look like for an iOS developer on your team then
1: depends on which developer you talk about but like so I would say on average. Um, every developer, so we use JIRA, right? So JIRA is our project management tool. Um, we have sprint planning every couple weeks. Um, and we essentially have, you know, the project manager or the lead dev or combined to kind of decide, you know, what needs to get done in the next sprint. And we usually have something like that planned out a couple months ahead of time. And we just assign whoever feels more comfortable working on certain tasks. And sometimes if someone's not comfortable, they end up working on that task just so they become better at it. Um. So we, you know, you kind of typically you just work on, uh, you're either going to be dedicated to like, let's say a watch app and you'll be dedicated to that for a few months at a time. You'll be dedicated to rendering articles or fix adding features to that specific set of code that we have or networking stuff um, or caching. Cause all, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of um, modular components that we maintain because we have multiple apps. So we have people that go in and kind of work on just these libraries for a couple weeks or a month at a time, and then they switch off to something else. Lately, we've been trying to create, I guess, project and product owners for certain libraries that we have. So the, you know, the article, you know, dealing with paywall, the system that kind of asks users to pay money if they've gone through a certain amount of articles and how to meet our articles probably properly. We have like one guy that's begun beginning to kind of take ownership of that. Um, same thing with the library regarding rendering section fronts, which is kind of like the small blurbs and pictures that you see when you launch a news, a news app. And then article rendering when you click through that into the next, the longer form article, that like we have one guy or two couple guys that are kind of trying to maintain that. So everyone kind of owns or maintains something. Um, as an are example, you, we have, sorry, go ahead. Are your libraries
0: uh, like uh, built using uh, CocoaPods or like, are they, yes. do they support oh, CocoaPods yeah.
1: installation? All, everything is CocoaPods for us. Um, uh, one of my first tasks when I started working there a couple years ago was to move over Objective-C and Swift libraries from um, to version zero point three nine of Cocoa Pods, and there was a, something with like uh, dynamic frameworks that was introduced, and we had a lot of transitive dependencies, which is this thing where you have a static library in a in a in a Cocoa Pod that you're trying to bring into an app, and there's it's a huge it a huge nightmare for us.
0: Yeah, we did some of that at Farmers too. We had like I think maybe six or seven static libraries. We pulled uh, most of them out into um, you know into a pod. Are your um, how much of your the code base the the apps the
1: libraries are Objective C versus Swift? Virtually nothing is Objective-C. I mean, I think we have a Whoa. lot of... Yeah, we're really quick. We're really fast. I mean, we have people... Wow. Yeah, we, we have people starting in the betas that start converting things um, sometimes. So
0: how important um, to you as a hiring person? I assume you're a hiring manager or mm-hmm. a part of the process. How important is it to you that someone um, knows Objective-C versus Swift? Right now, just like Swift?
1: N- if someone... So we had a, I think we had a couple people come in. Saying they know little Swift. This was last year when we were hiring, so this is you know before Swift three. This was us in the middle of Swift two or two point two or two point one, whatever it was. Um, we essentially said, if you don't have any Swift experience, we're not even going to look at you. Wow, wow! But if you have zero Objective C experience, that's fine. That's fine. And we we have uh, we hired someone out of a code school um, who had previous programming experience for iOS development. Just he wanted to get it more formalized, uh, or maybe it's vice versa. I think he got a formal education from Iron Yard. Um, and then he had some app that he worked on, a small startup, and then we hired him as a junior. Total swift experience, very little objective C and he's phenomenal. He's wow. co-wrote re-co-wrote one of our apps. Wow,
0: and it sounds like the more um, entry-level iOS developer positions would be more on-site, uh, physical, in the office. Yes, and to...
1: okay. that's uh, kind of, like like I said, One there's one intern that we hired full-time, and I think he's gonna be working remote. Um, and but, you just need to prove yourself. Yeah, you just need I mean, he proved himself. I mean, th- th- uh, this uh, this guy, he did a really, really stellar job this summer, like he pretty much owned an entire project. Um, and I just, we, you know, him and I sat down, we paired program a few times just so I can get an idea of how he thinks and works. And then, you know, we do pull requests all the time. So I was able to take a look at what he, what he does, how he addresses issues, et cetera. And I, you know, the decision was made that he's someone that we definitely want. I mean, he's on, he, he's smart. So going back to the libraries, have you heard of a Swiftplate uh, recently? Yep. I um,
0: Okay, so John Sundle, Swift Swiftplate. Yep. Have you guys looked
1: into playing around with that yet using no. that? No, um, okay. I actually gave, one, I gave a minor contribution to that library, um, just something really tiny. I forgot what it was, but like the day it came out. But I personally, I just thought, I, thought, I think it's a cool concept. Um, I just, we don't start enough new projects often enough to, to necessitate using a Swiftplate, if I'm remembering what it does correctly. Um, yeah, I, it, it, it creates like a boilerplate for a Swift project, right?
0: I think it allows you to quickly create a cross-platform uh, in terms of um, Apple platforms, um, reusable library. And he also recently added, or at least um, CocoaPod support was recently added. He told me he was speaking with um, Orta or some of the CocoaPods guys mm-hmm. to make that, like to re- use Swiftplate and like replace Podlib Create um which is pretty interesting yeah that's actually not a bad idea it also supports uh, the swift package manager installation so that's interesting Uh, i haven't played with it too much so i I really don't know it just uh, thought i'd ask so I, i think that's really cool we have some um libraries at farmers that we've created and uh that you know it's fun you know you're pulling out code and you're putting it into this um library that you can maintain but then there's always that like that thing where it's like, okay, I need to add something to the library. And now, like rather than just like having it in the project and just being able to edit it, you have to like, go to the library, edit it, do any of the release. You know, um, if it's a private, you know, you have to push the, the, the repo, push the pod spec to the private repo, you know, or if it's, um, you know, open storage, an you way. push it to the. Oh, really? Yeah. I script, to do a script. No,
1: no. Um, you can point to a local pod lo- remotely. Uh, so locally. Oh, so this is what I do whenever, um, so in a lot of the open source stuff that I build, what I do is um, I install, I create a sample folder project inside of the pod itself. Um, and I point to the local version of the pod on my computer. So like in my pod file, instead of doing like, you know, when you do pod and then in quotations, the name of the pod, and then you can bring right. one of the key values. I put in path instead of git and I okay. point it to the previous directory, which actually contains the source code. And so in Xcode, when I open up the sample project or sample workspace, rather, I have access to the development pod. And so I can just um, edit it in there, right. save, and that's it.
0: And then once you're sort of done, then you finally do the release and
1: all that. Yeah, then I push it out. And then that's exactly, I mean, I was doing this last night with a bunch of different projects. So interesting, was just, interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm gonna, if that ever comes up again, I'm going to hit you
1: up to yeah, get, get more details on
0: that. That sounds really interesting. Okay, so before we move on, last thing about um, – actually, man, this is really interesting. Like I love talking about process because it's like it's really relevant to uh, to what I'm doing at work. Um, like okay, what real quick. Uh, well, just because that's what we're doing is like getting process and like focus. We're really focused on process at work. And to me, that's like one of the exciting things about software development. So really quick. Um, are you guys doing like test testing? Or are you guys doing oh, pairing, yeah. pair pair programming? Not so there? much pair programming. Okay. Since a
1: lot of us are remote, we don't do it as often.
0: Okay, um, um, testing one hundred percent. So you have like continuous integration, continuous. Yeah, actually, I have a whole stuff. story
1: about continuous integration. Okay, okay.
0: Well, I might <laughs> so have it's to, up to you. I might have to get that from you. No, I want to learn about your. I want to learn about your life, and then I want to talk about um guitar and and Swift specifically. But real quick, um. If, if ever you guys are hiring, let me know. I'll post it into, you know, I'll mention it on the podcast. I'll mention it on the I have a Slack team for all my local meetup members. Um, sounds like a really, really cool place to work. Um, I'm really, really just happy to learn about that. Um, and it, it makes sense. You know, you have Jeff Bezos owning this, like, this place. They're obviously a very, Amazon is a very technology-driven company. So it's good that it's like filtering down. Um, okay, so... I want to learn about you know how you got to where you are. So t- t- you know, take us back to like your earliest memory of programming.
1: Uh, earliest memory of programming was in middle school. So I am, what is it, 2017? So I'm 30 years old right now. I'm turning 31 this year. So this must have been 96, 97, 98. Um, so that wasn't when I first got a computer, but that's when I first actually started programming. So I remember driving to, my, my father driving me to school one day, and we were listening to NPR, and they were talking about something called the Internet. And my, my dad was like, I can show you what it is tonight because, you know, my, my dad has always been someone that's been forward thinking. Um, he had bought me a computer when I was four. I didn't really know what to do with it except play games on through DOS. Um, and what I, uh, what I ended up doing is he showed me like NPR.org or NPR.com, whatever it was back then, probably the same thing right now. And I thought this was the coolest thing in the world that I could actually see thing. You know, I, I, it's really hard to recreate what that felt like when you're 10 years old and the world isn't as connected as it is now. But um, it it was just amazing to see information on a computer screen from somewhere else about something else um, that, you know, that's something that wasn't just a game, something more informational. And it was just like blew my mind. And then at the same time, I think I was really into like, like anime, like Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z. So I'm like, I want to make a website about this. So back in 97, I remember during that summer break, I didn't go to summer camp um i've just i think i just stopped going to summer camp at that point so i spent the entire summer learning html three or four and this was before css was a thing and i think javascript i didn't even think was a thing yet i think it was just html just like tables and stuff and i started building websites on angelfire.com uh, fortunecity.com geocities tripod.com i think back then the biggest search engine was excite or hotbot like i've you know This is taking me back. I'm like, I have goosebumps just thinking about all this. Like, I love it. I mean, I I remember that summer. It was just like, I was like, I I was totally like that hacker mentality from what the movie said. Like I was up to like way past my bedtime for a 10 year old. I was up to like two in the morning on a computer because I was always fortunate and lucky enough to have my own computer in my own bedroom. Um, So that's with a 56K connection. So it was always... You know, it was always fun to do that. So that's my earliest memories, just building Pokemon and Dragon Ball websites. Buying a domain name um, was crazy for me. My dad forked over like $30 for some dot coms for me that I had no idea how to properly use. Like When it got to doing like PHP and um, Perl or Perl, I think back then, and CGI, that totally kind of was way beyond my comprehension as a kid. And I kind of like started not liking web development when at that point, but I still did it. Did but you I, study computer science in high school? Uh, I had one class um, uh, that was really just, it, it, was, it was an AP computer science uh, in C++. And I learned more from a book, Borland C++ book than I did in that class. That class was just a joke. It was like instead of taking Spanish, I took computer science. So And did it was you... with all my friends and we all kind of just did, made fun of the professor who was very, very old and didn't know what the hell he was doing. I feel bad now thinking about it, but. (laughs) Did
0: you uh, study or did you practice and like, were you, you know, programming outside of high school during that time?
1: Yeah, I was making, well, I was, uh, yeah, I kind of, I guess I was just making websites for fun. Um, I didn't, wasn't making any real money off of it. um, Not until college. So did you Uh, study um, computer science in college? No, I actually went to college for, originally for psych and pre-med and I ended up with two degrees in physics. So, okay. Oh, like kind of like Alexis. He was a physics guy too, right? Yeah. Uh, and we, him and I, I've been to a bunch of conferences he's at. And him and I have talked a couple times. And we talk over a couple different Slack channels and Twitter every so often. He's a really fun, smart guy to chat with. You guys talk about physics? Uh, we have. Um, we did totally different types of physics. I think he did like biological, uh, something like theoretical biology. Um, and I did nuclear physics. So it was totally different types of physics.
0: So, so you were going to become a doctor, you were pre med, but you ended up getting two degrees in physics, you said? Yeah, two. Um, (laughs) Two? Almost three, almost three.
1: Um, Oh, that's a long story. So I went, um, all right, so I come from, uh, my family is uh, Russian and Jewish. So they're uh, ex-Soviet immigrants, they're Soviet immigrants, and kind of like in many cultures that are very family-oriented, and I can name a lot of other cultures that you kind of want, your parents want you to be, lawyers or doctors, um, yeah. or yeah. accountants. Right. Yep. So yep. That, that's, that's exactly where, you know, that's, that's my call. You know, I'm sure, you know, you can relate. So, yeah. um, my parents said they would not co-sign my, my school loans unless I studied medicine. So I went to a school that had an early acceptance program in medicine so I could avoid the MCAT, um, which was George Washington University in DC. Uh, so I went there with, and I, and I hated psychology. I was just, it was just boring to me. Um, Pre-med, I really only enjoyed math and physics portion of that. I hate biology and the only chemistry I enjoyed was organic because it's just logical. Like you just pictures and it's just like a logical thing to do. I hated the labs though. So anyway, somewhere in that process, um, I was always programming on the side, which I can get to in a moment. I was always like in my, at spending all my free nights and evenings instead of studying, and preparing for exams, just programming, doing various things. And somewhere in there, um, I, uh, had also been working on the side for like work study cause I had loans. Right. So I was working for a plastic surgeon building his website. Um, and I was doing a bunch of like, so it was like the best of both worlds. Like I could do what I liked. My parents were happy because I was working for a doctor. Yeah. Um, so I had spent a few years working for a plastic surgeon, um, building his website, doing a bunch of like database, local database stuff on his computer, just like some stuff management. Like it was like IT work. You can just say uh, at the end yeah, of the yeah. day. And at some point I was, um, one of my physics instructors was like, you really have a knack for this. You may want to consider switching your major. And I'm like, how do I graduate in time? Because I, I don't want to, you know, I'm already my sophomore at this point. And he's like, oh, we, you know, let's see what you've taken come over. So I had to take one summer class, but I ended up switching from being pre-med and psych to biophysics. So I got a degree in biophysics as a bachelor's doing comp sci on the side. And the comp sci part, like all the self learned stuff that I did was really helpful in like getting me into grad school and getting me into my actual career as a iOS developer. Like all that has kind of been... Like twenty years in the making,
0: so you graduate from uh, George Washington University mm-hmm. with two almost with three one, degrees. with one, okay. one at the time.
1: I got um I got accepted um to a full ride PhD at GW as well at George Washington University for uh, nuclear physics.
0: And did uh, you end up going? Through I took with
1: that? it. I took it. Um, and I was the most miserable three years of my life. <laughs> uh, like absolutely, I was just um. I think, think about it like this. Um, I learned a lot of the physics without understanding a lot of the underpinnings of the mathematics. So mm. I was like, it was doing like emotional mathematics. Like what did, what felt like the right answer huh. and then kind of trying to work backwards, like a lot of the math that I learned, like partial differential equations, like, um, second order partial differential equations, which are, I think are used to solve how springs work. And like springs are a very big concept in how atoms and everything works in the cell, okay. in, in the, in, at, in, sorry, at the nuclear level. Like everything has a spring constant, everything's kind of vibrating all the time. Like all that, like the solution is always an Euler equation. It's always like E to the negative something or another. And the point is I didn't understand where that came from until I learned it in physics and then went down backwards. Like I learned, you know, reverse engineered it. And this was totally part of how my head works. I always reverse engineer everything and that's how I understand how things work. But it was really hard to do that in an academic environment because you constantly have exams and tests and your professors are grilling you in class trying to you know ask you questions. They're a very uh, Socratic-like method. They just like, kind of put like an equation up there or give you a hypothetical problem and you have to try to solve it right in front of it. I'm like, I really don't know how to solve this problem. And so, okay, so you,
0: you graduate with a degree in, from George Washington in, in physics. You mm-hmm. go to this PhD, you don't enjoy it. You, what do you do? Do you I, quit? Uh,
1: I, a little more interesting than that, I, so I left with a master's degree, but I had to take a qualification exam for my PhD. Before I took the qualification exam, my PhD, a mobile development company in New York, uh, Fueled, contacted me. Oh, master. wow. You know Fueled? I was one of their first iOS devs. What? Oh, yeah. my But there's God. a whole process wait, behind wait. that. Wait,
0: so, so what time, what time frame is this? 2011. Okay, so you're at George Washington University in the middle of your PhD. I'm in my third
1: year for third year of my program. Yeah.
0: You s- you stop. You get your master's and you. I get just, my yeah. I get
1: my master's. <laughs> I purposefully fail my qualification exam so I can't continue at the program, so okay. that I can start working at Fueled without ever having to. How did Fueled regret find that. you? Oh, that's a whole different story, which I should get into. Um, so <laughs> like I told you, I was working in college, right? I was doing programming. I was actually building Firefox extensions for fun in the middle of the night. Okay. So I wrote a bunch of Firefox extensions. So I wrote the first or one of the first like email yeah. extensions, like the, if you see an interesting article, you want to email it to your friends. Like I always like on dig.com all the time back then in like 2006. So I wrote an extension called email this and um people start downloading it, I think at it's it's I mean it's been used like millions of times. I have no idea now, but people still pay me a couple dollars. Like I have a donation website on it, and people still pay me like a couple dollars every couple days. Like I get a notification from PayPal saying, hey, someone's contributed $2 to you for this extension. I'm like, I don't even know if it still works. Because <laughs> I haven't touched it in seven years now, I know. But, so
0: so real but, quick about,
1: yeah. about, about Fueled. Uh, so Fueled
0: is a, I guess, a product design studio, so to say. Mobile
1: uh, agency as well. Yeah, and, mobile um, agency.
0: Okay. They're really well known for, um, what's it called? The one... Um, the um, quiz quiz up? Yeah, quiz up. That was after my time. And also, they made the Android version of Afterlight. The iOS yep. version was made by like the original developer. I think he's English. Uh, Philip or something. Anyways, I know Fueled because I know the CEO, Ramit, Chaw- Ramit Chawla. Chawla. Yep. Um, so that's why I got really excited. So that's what Fueled is. Okay, so how does Fueled find you? You make this extension. So I made a bunch
1: of extensions. The one I made that was big, really big, was called the Facebook Photo Album Downloader. So... Uh, I f- pretty much wrote like a hundred line script that I, I always kind of think about as like the hundred lines that changed my life. So wow. a hundred line script that in JavaScript, like really bad JavaScript that would able be able to find any image located in any album on Facebook, even if you don't have access to that album and download all the f- contents of the photos. And the reason I did it wasn't for any like creepy reason. It was because I had had a 22nd birthday party in 2008 where I had a hundred people and all of them took photos. And this was when people still posted massive albums to Facebook. Right. And I wanted to retain that memory. So after right-clicking and saving, you know, 200 photos, I was like, you know, F this, I, I'm gonna automate this. I'm, you know, I'm like, a, you know, I'm a hobbyist programmer, I can automate it. So I wrote a script that essentially um, goes uh, dynamic, scrapes a web page. was a scraper. It scraped an album page, reloaded all the album pages and downloaded all the images and saved them to a folder locally. And it got to the point where it was so popular that I had a couple of people trying to acquire it for like multiple figures, like five figures. And then I got sued. Well, I got a cease and desist from Facebook um, wow. to take it down. Um, this was literally around the same time that Field came around. So this was like January of 2011. All of this was going down. I had an offer for acquisition. I had a cease and desist. And Ramit and his second in command, Ryan, contacted me um, because they saw all the work I was doing on Facebook. Um, Firefox I think I got a a feature in the New York Times for this Facebook thing and they were like yeah we're looking for developers there aren't enough mobile devs we tried to want to look at other communities and we liked your bio on the Firefox website so I had a really crazy looking bio too so they're like yeah we contact you because of that. And at that point had you done any mobile development? No I had an Android phone I was full on Google fanboy Android fanboy iOS was like this gaudy thing that was weak in comparison, in my opinion. Um, And what did I know back then? Um, (laughs) But no, I hadn't done any of that yet. Um, So they bring you on and what do you do? No, they give me a coding test and it was the most miserable three days of my life. Um, because they wanted me to code something like a two-dimensional matrix in JavaScript, but I didn't know how to do AJAX properly in JavaScript, so it kept slowing the browser down. So then, AJAX, I,
0: really quick. AJAX is like the pro- predecessor to, um, not predecessor, yeah, the predecessor of like um, REST or something like that? Or, uh, or AJAX or XML? is a mouse.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I think or it's like two DSON? different things. It's a way to do things asynchronously. And with okay. JavaScript and
0: XML. I remember I heard about AJAX while like learning about RESTful APIs or something like that.
1: I'm the wrong person to ask. Like I okay okay such, okay yeah. okay.
0: So they so they ask you to do this coding challenge, a two dimensional matrix. Something I had to solve. I
1: have to create it's a sparse matrix. So essentially, okay. it's, 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 it, imagine like, it's like a two dimensional. Imagine a chessboard where you know you have chess pieces in certain places. And you had to, to find some kind of solve some kind of solution where certain pieces were in certain places and that's it. A that sparse matrix is essentially a two-dimensional grid where not every every element is filled in. Okay. So I had to write a program to do something like that. And I I I figured it out. Um, but I also did it in C because in C in a statically typed language where you can compile it it runs much faster. So I did it in both languages, submitted it with a huge readme of how everything works and they're like you have passion and heart and even though the javascript didn't work we're, we do not we do not have javascript shop like the fact that you know C and you've been able to teach this to yourself like we'll hire you on a provisional hire. So nice. this, this was like really scary because at that point I made the decision to take the job and quit grad school, but I had to move to New York and all I had was like, you know, I had some money to my name from my stipend from grad school, but it wasn't that plus the salary was not enough enough to live in New York. Oh my so gosh. It was, uh, they gave me six months and they said they would like wildly increase my salary. We had a number in mind um, and that was going to be enough for me to live in New York at the time um, so I did that um, it was the most gr- grueling six months of my life because I was working about six seven days a week about 10 12 hours a day minimum um, Why? Because I wanted to, because I didn't because I almost lost that job in the first six weeks because I wasn't at pace. Because you have never done
0: mobile development. I never done mobile development. I've never looked at Objective you, C. Okay, I, you were doing iOS and Objective C. Okay.
1: Yeah, I was doing iOS Objective C. This is with Xcode four. Um, this was right before ARC was introduced. So this was all pre ARC code. And as an agency, you have to work for the last couple. You have to you know you have to support a couple years worth of right. iOS. So this was I didn't do ARC until like two until like twenty thirteen. Like everything was pre ARC auto release stuff.
0: We have it so good these days. Yes,
1: you guys do, but. Uh, no. <laughs> It put hair in my chest is what I like to think about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I want to I stop here and I want to ask you, this is a very crucial moment in your life to move to New York, to take this job, to take this risk. Uh, who, is surrounding, who are you surrounded by in that moment? Who do you consult with? What do you say and what do they say to you?
1: Um, so I'm surrounded by my my Russian Jewish family, of which they are split down the middle. My father is like he's like, Yeah, you should do this, you know, right. make a mistake by not letting you do this. Nice. And my mom is like, You're not gonna be a doctor? Oh my god.
0: She's worried. <laughs> She's yeah, worried. she doesn't understand programming. What does right. that mean?
1: uh yeah I mean she understands or it kind of but she's just not like as prestigious it's not as prestigious this is a huge chance I don't know any of this yet but she you know she's trying to be supportive because she know I already, she already knew I had no way back to go to grad school
0: what do you say to them
1: I say trust me I'll yep. figure this out yeah. um and I in the back of my mind I was freaked out the entire time because I'm like oh my god did I just shoot my entire life in the foot you know I had yeah. no one to really talk to or look at. And I didn't realize how common this scenario was until I kind of got out of it and looked back at a lot of people who are doing it now in all these code schools. I mean, yourself even, right? You're a lawyer by trade and you are now an iOS developer. And yeah. this is a common, I mean, we're, we're in this funny place in in the world right now where we these traditional educations that we have are not as interesting or as fulfilling as being a software engineer is right now. So people, you know, change. So I was scared out of my mind. I mean, no joke, but it made me really comfortable with taking risks afterwards i've been very comfortable taking risks after making that decision it's like the bestest thing i've ever done in my life because uh shortly thereafter i actually met my wife um and my now wife and i had no problem just like in my personal life kind of just like chasing her but i had to totally confident that this was gonna work out i was gonna i knew i was gonna marry her the moment i met her saying so, you know i think she had similar feelings but i kind of like just Pursued it because I felt comfortable taking the risk. What do I have to lose, right? I just totally shot my entire physics and doctor career to do something I know nothing about and, and I'm succeeding at it. So let me try this way of life, way of thinking everywhere else. And like, that's what it is. It's just taking that risk and kind of believing that you can do it until it gets done. It's like hey. the secret, as they say, you know, that book?
0: Yeah, yeah, the secret, yep. It's really interesting to think that, you know, taking uh, a risk now will Make it uh, make you better prepared to, um, you know, take a risk in the future and you know, and and succeed and you know, benefit from taking those risks. It's really interesting. I never thought about that,
1: yeah. I mean, it's 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 because you like the feeling that you get when you're right, right? I mean, when you when you when you take that risk and you you you, you know that you, you won't accept lo- losing or failure as an option, like you'll put whatever effort it takes to see the job to get the job done, whatever that job or that task may be, what you know, whatever it is that you want in life. And I mean, you got to seize it. That's it. That's like my total mentality about every a lot of things these days.
0: So you take the job with fuel. You're sort of in a provisional kind of contract. Yep, so you're having nice. to learn Objective C um, just from this from scratch, essentially. Uh, what did you do? How did you, it's a huge challenge. How did you set yourself up for success?
1: So I had the same problem when I was switching from pre-med to physics. Um, so what I did is I I learned back then that the way my brain works is I need to be fully engrossed in what I'm doing. So, to, um, so in my sophomore year of college, uh, I went from taking psychology classes to taking all the basic physics classes all at once, even the ones that depended on each other, and organic chemistry. So I was just doing science the entire time. So I would spend all my nights, even my weekends, just learning it so I could do well because I needed to prove that I can actually do this to myself. Um, and after about three months, I woke up one Saturday morning and everything clicked in my head. Like when I was sat down and do my homework problems or study for an exam, it was easy. It was actually easy for once and fun. It was enjoyable because I understood what I was doing. So I have this three month rule in my head. Um, so it's like, if you spend three months just doing this you know you you know all the other activities are just you know just making sure you know you eat you go and walk exercise a little bit and then you leave everything else kind of the wayside for a little bit of time like all the other activities you will succeed in that task because it'll at one point your brain will just um what's it click. called click it'll click so same thing happened here i woke up in august i think cuz i started working in june i woke up in august or september and I had finally understood some crazy issue with delegates that I didn't understand, table view delegates. So the first project <laughs> I was working on, table, you know, I was told by my superior at the time, my manager, he's like, yeah, table views are gonna be like your lifeblood right now, because this is before collection views. And you have to understand what a table view is, what MVC is and what how delegates fit in there. And delegates always eluded me, no matter what analysis, uh, analogy you use with ambassadors and delegation, they always eluded <laughs> me and when I started. And I, at one point they just clicked. And I think – and once it clicked, I felt more confident and then everything else started clicking because then I, I finally started to understand how to read the documentation like that. One of the hardest parts for me is reading the documentation because, you know, as a novice, you look at documentation and you're like, this thing in italics, is this mean like this is an example? Like this is just fill in this blank or does this mean you actually have to put this value in there? Like, you know, there's all these things that when a, a developer or is writing, they don't as- – you can't really cater to a total beginner because you don't know what a beginner, how a beginner looks at code when they've never looked at code before. And I fell into a lot of those holes where I didn't understand how to read documentation properly because I always learned by you know, just looking on the web at other example or other people's code and kind of reverse engineering. Same thing I did in my physics career because that's how I knew how to learn back then. Um, and I just finally started understanding how to read documentation at that point too um, be, you know, not being able to properly do that before as silly as that may sound. And then I just started feeling more confident with every task that I completed every, every, every feature that I added. And when I shipped for the first time was like the most glorious feeling in the world because I'd spent four months working on an app that I could probably build right now in about a month, you know, part-time, but it was cool to feel that like back then I did this all by myself. No one really helped me aside from guiding me and I kept my job and I proved to myself that, yeah, I made the right decision. It was like the best feeling in the world.
0: One of the things you said that I think is really interesting is you said you engrossed yourself. Yes. And I think that's really important. Uh, Whenever I have a meetup uh, where I think that maybe some of the topic might be a little more advanced uh, because I try to cater towards beginners, I let the, the members know that it's okay if you do not understand just be exposed to this. It's good that you're being exposed because the more you engross yourself, as you say, the more you expose yourself to this stuff, uh, the more you will understand over time. And I think that's really, really good advice for, uh, for, for the way that you overcame this challenge. You had this steep learning curve and you just you enveloped yourself in uh, what you needed to learn. Uh, that's really, really good um, advice, I think. So you're working at Fueled, mm-hmm. and
1: now you're at Washington Post. Can you kind of fill in the gaps? Sure. So at working at Fueled, I got to work, build a big portfolio because they're an agency. So I worked on, the first app I ever built was for the Bulova Watch Company. And then I- How do you say that name? Bulova or Bulova. Bulova, yeah. Bulova. okay. Yeah, it's an American watch brand. Uh, it's not Bulgari
0: or whatever? No, that's Bulgari. That's oh, Bulgari. Oh, okay.
1: That's a different brand, totally. Okay. This is B-U-L-O-V-A. B-U-L-O-V-A. Okay, okay. Um, then I worked on a bunch of Macy's app. I worked on a Porsche app, a Ducati app. Like they this have a huge all with fueled, all with fueled. Wow! So I, I had this huge, huge, um, I got, this, this is, this is where you get lucky. You know, you, every story has a little bit where you get lucky. This is my lucky part. My, my second lucky break. My first one was they found me. My second lucky break was that I had a huge portfolio and I marketed myself. I started, you know, I started taking interviews after, you know, I got my, after I proved to them and they gave me my proposed raise, I said, okay, cool. I'm like, I want to get, make more money now. What do I do? Um, and then, so I started getting hit up on LinkedIn a lot because people started looking at my, my resume, which I kept up to date and they're like, oh, we have this job X, Y, Z. So this is where my mom comes in too. So she's like, you know, see what's out there. So I took a look and then, You know, I had no idea how to negotiate properly. So I talked to her and she's like, just throw out some random huge number and see if anyone bites. Um, And someone bit. (laughs) So that's where I got really lucky because I was just like, "Okay, well, there's a startup that wants me to work on one product. And here I am spending almost a year of my life working on a dozen products. And I kind of want to take it slow and work on one product. that." You know, it's really hard to constantly switch gears and work on a bunch of little products. Which is what you
0: were doing at Fueled. Which which
1: is what I was doing at Fueled. And I was like, I want to work at something else. So there was this tech stars company known as Shelby TV that is now defunct. Um, and they were a social video platform. Um, they wanted to build a way that you can actually ingest video from Twitter, Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, based on your likes, your feeds. An aggregator. An aggregator. Yeah. There's a lot of these, but this one's one of the first, um, So they wanted to redo their iPad app and I had very little experience with media APIs, but I went there, I passed their coding test and I sat down and did the same thing again. I engrossed myself with media APIs, like AV Foundation, um, AV Media Capture or whatever they call AV Capture and started building all these various custom movie players. I learned how to swizzle when I was there. Um, Swizzle? Yeah, swizzling. Um, Is that like
0: related to testing?
1: No, swizzling is the concept of taking the implementation of a, a, so, Apple has all these libraries, right? Like Foundation, Core Foundation. Uh, let's say let's talk about a different one. Let's talk about AV Foundation, right? Um, okay. Just something that is not part of the Swift open source stack right now. So AV Foundation is a closed black box API that Apple owns. One of the thing, I, and I'd forgot what I had to swizzle there. Well, like, let's say need to. What I need to do is I take an existing method that they expose. Right. And I change something under the hood. I, I, I uh, for the same method name. So it's an, I take the implementation. So if it says like this, this let's say this method, all it did was do one, you know, add like two play. numbers together. Right, or play. Let's say it add, just push play. The play I method, would, like movie.play. Exactly, like movie.play. So I would say before you pl- play, also send a notification and make a web request and then push play as an okay. example. But it would all happen when you click play and the developer would be none the, and the end user would be none the wiser that I'm doing this. How do you swizzle the method, the play method? Oh, Jesus. Uh, okay. We'll look, we'll look yeah, at it. I'll, I'll link to it. Okay. I did, I, but I didn't swizzle I swizzled MV movie player. It's like that okay. fundamental okay. movie okay. player class. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. needed to add buttons into the stack, like a different UI, nice. which Apple did not want us to do, period. Um, so we, I, I also created a trick on how to get it around the App Store with adding like, um, well, it's, it's, I think it's a common trick, but back then it was, no one really talked about it, but you can hide features, um, uh, by putting them like on a time delay. And then once the time delay expires, which I usually put as 14 or 15 days afterwards, I would be, uh, I was able to um, have these methods that got through the app store appear. Oh, interesting. But there's smarter ways. I do do this all the time. (laughs) There's smarter ways of doing it this day. Like you you can do it remotely through a configuration file and that's what people do these days.
0: Uh, I wanna ask, um, how long were you at fueled before you left for Uh, the uh, Shelby TV? 10 months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not even a year. No, 10 months, and I built nice. a ton of stuff. Well, wow, but you built a ton of stuff. Nice. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so how do you end up, so mm-hmm. you're at Shelby TV, mm-hmm. you're doing all this media stuff. How do you end up at Washington Post?
1: So I like shipping, um, and Shelby TV wasn't shipping my stuff, so I look, started looking for another job, and I went to a company in Northern Virginia called ID.me, which is a digital identity startup. That was um, somewhat funded by the U.S. government under um, the department of NIST, under NIST, I think. Um, so I spent okay. uh, mm-hmm. National Institute of Standards and Technology. Okay, okay. And mm-hmm. I think depart- some other department. Um, they, they, was, they were trying to st- – the project I was working on there was a digital driver's license, which never came to fruition either.
0: Oh, cool, cool. Yeah,
1: because there's, there's a whole lot of red tape behind that. But I built a lot of code, a lot of stuff um, there. But after a couple of years of not really shipping too much stuff, shipping a few items – And just doing a lot of open source stuff on the side, I said, you know, I really want to work for a non-startup because I've worked for two startups where my equity isn't really amounting to much or I don't feel like I'm being utilized properly. And uh, I want to work on something where you actually ship. And Washington Post is one of the big companies that hire in D.C. There's a few others like Capital One. Um, Living Social was one, but they're now defunct. Uh, AOL is another big hire company in, in that area. so. They hire a lot of iOS devs and that aren't startups. So I was going to the Washington Post meetup every so often. I decided to speak there to kind of, to make my presence known. So I spoke about the Apple watch before the Apple watch came out and did swift coding and swift one in like live coding. Um, because that's something that terrorized me to do that, you know, to kind of go in front of 30, 40 people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I did that be- and that's how I got the Washington Post. Like all of that, like kind of gave me a foot in the door at the job there. And I passed the coding interview and I just started working there. Wow. Yeah, wow. I, I try to do things that scare me, like doing this podcast kind of freaks me out too a little bit. <laughs> okay, so I want to get to the open source uh,
0: projects. But before we do, uh, I think that your, your experience um, with, I mean, you had a lot of programming experience, but still, like to go from no iOS development to working at Fueled, and then what, maybe less than, it's been maybe three, less than three years and you're working at Washington Post, maybe three years and you're
1: working, working at the Washington Post. Uh, so I went to fuel to 2011. I started at the post of 2015. So about four years, four years mm-hmm. yeah. to okay. go from one to the other.
0: Yeah. And you, you know, and you're working as a lead and you're doing le- these amazing things. I just think it's really interesting. So like, what would you say to someone who's, um, you know, just starting out with iOS development, what's like a good, uh, thing for them to do to set themselves up to, you know, get a job, let's say, um, within, you know, after their first year of just studying,
1: put themselves out there. Like okay. do whatever they can to put themselves out. Go to meet up, Like write code, write apps. Go to meetups. I mean, I would say even uh, a code school um, could uh, could assist. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, do what you can, but you have to be really, really show that you're interested. Right. Show code. Offer to speak. I mean, put do something that scares you. Like do all this stuff because it'll it'll. I mean, if I see someone because I have this background, if I see someone that has a similar background, I will do what I can to help them out. And I have in the past. I have helped other people in the past. Because of this exact scenario, like they are people who are hungry. And if they're hungry to learn, I and I'm I'm in the capability to help them out, I will help them out. So one thing we did at Fueled is we had a huge internship program, we ended up with a bunch of developers from France, because I I don't know how that happened. We had like five developers from France. And one of them, I remember I was on the fence on for a while, but he just had said something in our interview. And I'm like, you know what, let's just bring this guy in, we're going to train, you know, I may not be able to train him now, but I know one of our engineers can definitely help him out and I'll, you know, we'll just do it. So we just hired this guy and this guy's life changed completely since then. I have another engineer that when I was at ID.me, we hired from Puerto Rico uh, to be an Android developer. He, he wasn't really a great fit, but I knew he was hungry for it. So we helped uh, you know, he, we helped him find, or he found another job at a different startup in the area and he's doing fine now as well. So if people are hungry, they'll be fine. Nice. Like that's what it comes down to. Like, you know, so that's all we did. just just, just, um, you know, do open source if you can, write, write blog, blog about your experience if you can do, I mean, go to meetups. I mean, go to meetups and meet people. That is like the best thing is always, and we're social creatures, socialize.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally love it. Speaking of meetups, um, I I forgot to make a note of it. I, I want to take a quick uh, second to just say, if there is no meetup, if there are zero meetups in your town, you, the listener, and even you, Arthur, in Washington D.C. or Baltimore, that uh, are are feeding the desire that you have. So, like, I created Learn Swift LA here in Los Angeles because there was no meetup that allowed me to find other people that were like me that were trying to learn uh, rather than like really experienced developers who were sharing their experience, their, their like advanced knowledge. If you need something like that. Create it, and I will help you. Contact me on Twitter, contact me <clears throat> um, you know, over email, whatever it is, and uh, I will help you start that meetup and help change your life, because exactly what Arthur's saying, put yourself out there, show your passion. Um, the reason I got the job um, at Farmers, for a few other reasons, like one of them is because I showed passion through my meetups and through this podcast, so I um, just wanted to say that. Uh, I will help you start wherever you are in the world. U.S., not the U.S., doesn't matter. I'll help you start it. Uh, and 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 trust me, if this is something you want, it'll be good for you. Okay, so I want to go to your open source um, sure. <clears throat> projects. Uh, last night I was reading iOS Dev Weekly, and I saw this cool thing about you know, working with strings, checked out guitar, that's your new open source project, had no idea it was you, and then woke <laughs> up this morning and you're like, Yeah, I made that. So super awesome coincidence. Freaking love it. I love like those kind of coincidences. Tell us about guitar, what it is, why you made it, and I really want to get into how you made it as well. Sure.
1: Um I'd say it's 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 okay. So what it is, it is a cross-platform string library and cross-platform as in iOS, tvOS, watchOS, um, macOS, and Swift server or Linux Linux or any Linux. So um, I was looking, so I'm looking into getting to Swift server stuff. I've been talking about it. I've been talking the talk for a long time and I kind of just want to sit down and do it. Um And so I wanted to, I was looking to see what is missing currently um, on server platforms and something I had read somewhere at some point said there's like really no good string manipulation library. So I'm like, all right, what exists on other platforms? So I found a few others, uh, most notably, I think is Voka JS for a JavaScript framework that has a bunch of all the, these methods and I'm like, oh, a lot of these don't actually exist on string. Why don't I just add them? So I thought about this in December. I sat down, and I added like three methods. I'm like, cool, I'll get back to this at some point. And then this past week, I just had this random urge. I think one night I just sat down and I'm like, I really want to work on this. So I sat down and I just put out like 24, 25 different functions that I think might be useful um, that I saw might be useful for web development, like different like types of casing or different types of padding or trimming. And I just put a library together. Um, I also, because I just wanted to, you know, it's just like I had this itch to do it because I try to put at least one library out a year if I can. Um, So that's what I did. I spent my evenings um, playing around, putting it together. And actually, that was the the easiest part was putting it together. The hardest part was getting um, it to work with continuous integration and Jazzy and SwiftLint and all this other stuff that I've always been using. But for some reason, I had an an extraordinarily hard time getting it all working on this library. harder than usual. Um, So... Yeah, it, it's just a string manipulation library is what it comes down to. With I want to do a lot more with it, and I want the community to help out because I think this is something that may be useful across the server when people, you know, Swift does become more of a server, standard on server side uh, development.
0: Yeah, yeah. So just to be clear, y- this makes it so that you have um, these types of methods um, without foundation, right? I mean, maybe, in these methods don't even exist on foundation. No,
1: I don't know like, why it says it without foundation. I mean, foundation works. So there is a, right. I, I, that, that was a mistake on, I think, Dave's part. Dave, Ver, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Verwer, yeah, Verwer, because
0: they're they're currently in the process of, um, you know, importing, or I guess porting uh, foundation to Linux. Right. Actually, I'm looking at the guitar.swift file, and it has import foundation. Exactly. Yeah, I wonder why he did say that.
1: I I think maybe misread it, but the, you know the, the, when he was looking it over. Um, but so, it, so it's it's fine. It should work. Cause I tested it on with perfect la- a couple nights ago, and it worked just fine.
0: But it's interesting because they're, like, if you go to the IBM Swift sandbox thing, uh-huh. and you try to use some methods on string, let's say, and without importing Foundation, you're really limited. Yeah. So like the Swift standard library, that's like if you just use the Swift standard library without Foundation. You don't have that much stuff, so that's. A, I was thinking like, oh, huh, that's pretty interesting. I wonder how he's doing that or what he's doing. But okay, so uh, I must, maybe I
1: didn't test it all the way through. The end goal is for it to work across plaf- across everything. Even if, even if right now it may not, because like I said, I didn't do like a huge amount of testing. I'm like, this is just something I know needs to get done. So let me just put the put in the you know the basic foundation for it right
0: now. Well, I think that uh, they're in the process of porting foundation to right. Linux. I think they're, pr- you know, I don't know how close they're, I was talking to Chris Bailey like a couple weeks ago. He was mentioning it. So, okay, so, but I'm looking at some of the methods and it seems like a lot of them are kind of just convenience kind of methods. Yep. Some okay. of them are,
1: some of them are not. It's a very small library. Um, yeah, it's uh, I one think file, that, right? Yeah, it's one file. It's a couple hundred lines of code. Most of it is just documentation. It's about 30 functions. Some of them are just, um, they just, Uh, build on top of the character's API, which may or may not go away in Swift 4. Um, So there's gonna be some work that needs to be redone or redone on this API, on this this API rather. Um, But a lot of it is more like padding, trimming, casing functions, you know?
0: Yeah, one thing I learned was kebab cased. I had no idea there was such a thing as kebab cased. I love kebabs, by the way. (laughs) Uh, And so to learn that there's such a thing as kebab case, and then to learn what it actually is, is super funny. Like you're basically putting dashes between every word. It's super funny.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I learned that too, not too long ago, but it's something that's needed. So I'm like, why the hell not build it? Um, so I built it, but it's of all my open source stuff, it's like the newest project I have, it's the one that I think will be the biggest the once it gets to where I think it should be, but it's nowhere near there quite yet. And I, I don't know how long it's going to take me to work on it to do that. <laughs> To get so, it. so in terms of help, you were hoping like other people in yeah. the community would, yeah. And I've had that on other teams. projects, yeah, okay. like to come in and help implement like you know pure regular expressions in Swift because right now you have to use the NS regular expression, um, yeah. uh, framework and then to be able to Latinize characters. So, you know, if you have a non standard Latin Unicode character and you from a different language and you want you need to for whatever reason on um, to hand, you can only handle standard Latin characters, like you can take. You know, certain E's or C's that have little accent marks and they Latinize them accordingly.
0: Oh, I see. Like add the tilde.
1: Yeah. i the reverse, remove all that stuff so that it'll just read as if it was written in English. Because that's stuff that's needed every so often for certain frameworks. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you have a pure server side framework that is purely in Swift, I don't think you actually have to worry about that. But... It's just it's more of an experiment. Just I want to learn more about strings. Strings is a very complicated API under the hood, and I wanted to spend some time with it because you know, working for the Washington Post, we do a lot of stuff with strings right. and text. And I'm like, this will be this will help me one way or the other. So I just built this project. They just and... uh, uh, released the Strings Manifesto. Did yes. you read that thing? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I read uh, some of it an associate of my, oh not sorry, a colleague of mine uh, reminded me of it this morning actually. He's like, yeah, you're gonna need to rewrite this. I'm like, yeah, I remember reading that. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay, that's fine. I mean, I'm just writing this for fun right now. Let's, you know, let's see what happens.
0: So did you use Podlib Create for this?
1: No, I never used Podlib Create. I, because I think when I started creating pods, Podlib Create may not have been a thing or if it was, I didn't know it existed. Okay. So, so all I do is I just create a basic, pro- I actually probably do it the stupid way. I create a brand new project, like an Xcode project. I create a new file in there called guitar.swift. And I just start building it out. And then I put it in a, put it in a separate file um, elsewhere. And I create a workspace locally to kind of simulate wow. what it would be like to install guitar guitar. Um, but it's just cause I've been doing it for so many years with so many projects. It's,
0: I've Wait. never done it that way. I just use uh, so Podlib create is like a basically a script um, that's built into Cocoa Pods. You run Podlib create and it runs you through the whole process of creating your own CocoaPod Pod. Makes it super easy.
1: I can't imagine what it would be like to to do it without. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's. I don't know. I just don't think about it anymore because it doesn't take me that long to do it. I probably should use Podlib create, um, but at the same time, also supporting Carthage and Swift Package Manager and those have different requirements um when you ship a open source project um actually it was last night in the process of con- making sure everything works with swift package manager i accidentally broke carthage support so that's uh, what i'm gonna do tonight yeah so it, it's actually a pain between working with three dependency managers like they all have completely different rules like one of them i think carthage requires like a shared scheme like a xcode project the shared scheme with a right. dynamic library right. um Pods could care less. They just want to know where your files are located. And Swift package manager requires that all your files that you want to import are inside of a folder called sources. Nowhere else right now. And then I talked to Ankit who's one of the developers at Apple on Swift package manager, like one in the morning last night. Um, and he was like, yeah, you got to just make sure it's in sources. It's we're, we're going to fix that eventually, but we're not quite there yet. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it's just these three separate sets of rules that don't play nicely with each other, um, but I, you know, I'm trying to kind of appease the entire community or just be forward thinking and be ready for when Swift PM does become more of a standard. Yeah, Swift Package Manager. It's gonna be cool when you can just like
0: you do, you know, Pod install, just like Swift Package SPM install, mm-hmm. almost like Brew, you know, Brew mm-hmm. install. Um, okay, so we've uh, come to the end, uh, but before we go, I want to do um, a little rapid-fire section. Sure. So
1: the first question is, what drives you, Arthur? Imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Not joking. I, uh, that's why I do open source. I um, I have a bunch of other open source libraries I spent a lot of time on because I wanted to have other people vet my code and tell me what I'm doing wrong or badly or poorly. And Yeah. Uh, Interesting. So you're sort of driven by just proving yourself. Yes, constantly, constantly. My wife always, my wife's a psychologist, so she always, it's like, you got to slow down. Like You're going to burn yourself out. Like, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what, I, you know, I know what I don't know, or sometimes I don't know what I don't know, and it freaks me out and keeps me awake at night. Because so,
0: but then what's it all for? Like, say, let's say you you prove yourself, but for to what end? You know, like, for instance, you said that you wanted to work, you wanted to slow down and work at a company that was gonna like build something and like you love shipping, like what, what's it all for? Uh,
1: it's because I want to be at a place where I will be able to manage large projects and understand the process and understand the inner workings of how a product should be built. And to get there, I wanna be able to do a little bit of all of that, kind of learn how process works, you know, how, you know, right now I'm in a position where I'm a, I'm a manager, essentially. I manage people, I also ship code, I also deal with clients. And this is kind of where I'm going. This is where I like to be right now, kind of in the thick of it all. But I, I, to get here, I've had to do everything that I've done. I've had to be able to prove that I can communicate with others, that prove that I can write code in the public, prove I can write code in private, prove that I can ship, prove that I can you know deal with that you know all these other aspects. But I to do that, I had to read a lot and to learn a lot and to write a lot and. Uh, I don't know what the absolute end goal is. I don't think there is an end goal for someone with like that type of personality. You kind of just kind of do it because it's what drives you in the week. It's why you wake up in the morning. It's why I wake up and spend a good chunk of, you know, every month just doing open source development that I have no idea who the hell is using my stuff. But I know it feels nice that when someone opens up a PR or an issue that people actually are interested enough in your Gash code to say, hey, can you help me with this problem or I found a bug or I want to add this feature It's nice, it it makes it worthwhile. And that kind of drives me to kind of get that type of validation that I'm helping other people. It makes me feel less of an imposter. Uh, Desktop or laptop? Both. Personal, I have a 5K iMac at home uh, when I work, but my job provides me with a MacBook Pro. I personally prefer uh, iMacs. Nice, nice. Standing or sitting? Uh, Standing. Um, yeah, standing I got a, I'm getting a new standing Well, I got a new standing list. I just have to build it But uh, when I worked on site At the Washington Post I stood about seven hours a day Seven out of the eight hours Just sat for lunch uh, Get from the command line Or from the GUI? Git for the command line for everything except when you really want to look at what actually changed, like the Git log. Then I just use the GitHub Mac app, just like quickly typing GitHub um, into the in the terminal. And it just pops up with a list of everything, you know, with a nice visual. The diff, GUI. The diff yeah. Uh, I used to use something called Git X for a long time. Uh, but that's, I think they stopped supporting that And GitHub from the command line. Is, I mean, GitHub in general just became a better app. Uh, Vim or Emacs? <laughs> So I used Emacs during my physics days, but I prefer, I'm like, I'm not so crafty with the keyboard in my fingers. I, I think I use nano if I can, if nice. I have to say in the terminal, nano or Pico or something.
0: Cool, cool. Uh, tests or no tests? Tests, totally tests. Tests all day long. You, all can't, right.
1: you can't ship code without
0: testing it. Um, you guys use XC test at Washington Post or Quick and Nimble.
1: We use XC test though a couple of our engineers use Quick and Nimble on personal projects. Um, we used XCUI tests for a while, but they are just not stable and we don't change our UI often enough to make it useful yet. but I think we're going to reintegrate XCUI test in the future. All
0: right. Uh, let's look at your uh, Twitter profile picture. Where are
1: you? It looks like you're sitting, in I mean, like
0: a Mammoth Mountain or... Like no, a-
1: I wish. I was in Georgetown at dinner for my second or third wedding anniversary with my wife. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a restaurant that no, no longer exists, unfortunately.
0: Oh Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Your um, your Twitter bio, um, open source. Uh, I never understood what OSS stood for. Open, open source, source software. software. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh. RPG role play?
1: Uh, I love video games. I love like uh, loved MMOs for a long time. Right now I'm really like, I like Heroes of the Storm, which is like a League of Legends, but made by a different company, Nice by Blizzard. Nice, uh, and EDM, that's the music, right? Yeah, oh yeah, but I love oh, that. If I could do anything right now, um, I would you, probably just produce music if I knew, but I don't know how to play instruments, that's the thing. I. But I've always enjoyed just all forms of like electronic music, like I'm totally on like this Future base genre. So kick.
0: I I have a, a friend, a kind of acquaintance acquaintance. He was a iOS developer, Objective C days at Facebook. He quit and became a full time um, uh, d- um, DJ and maybe mm-hmm. a producer as well. His name's Atish. Atish. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, the the banner. This is like a Thai sort of tie. Uh,
1: actually, that's a yes like and no. Buddha or something. Buddha. It's a Buddha. So there is this. Um, there is this place in Hawaii, uh, on Kona in Kona. There's a, (laughs) there's a hotel. I think I forgot who owns the hotel. Um, it's a massive, massive hotel. And on one aspect of the hotel, which is right in the water, there's this massive Buddha that just sits there, um, staring at the ocean. Um, and you can see the whole sunset from that location. So it faces west. Uh, so I was there for a physics conference and I just kind of went there to kind of get peace of mind. It's like, I, and it's one of my favorite places. It's
0: beautiful. And uh, lastly, I see you just submitted two proposals to 360 iDev.
1: Yes. So I spoke there last year on a video game that we built at the post called Floppy Candidate that had a pretty, <laughs> we got featured a lot for it. I mean, it, was, it did well in the sense of like everything, every iOS developer would ever want regarding like the type of attention it gets, like publications, news organizations picked it up. Well, we didn't try to monetize it or anything, which helped because um, no one needed to pay a cent. But um, I want to talk about kind of what we're doing at the post and then I want to talk about open source development in general, because I don't think enough people do it um, at all. So those are the two talks I submitted.
0: All right. Well, good luck with good luck with getting uh, accepted. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Last but not least, well, two last, um, where can people contact you online?
1: Uh, Twitter is fine. Or my email. My email is my first name at mylastname.com, but my direct messages are open on Twitter and I have a bunch of conversations with people I've never met through direct messages. All right, cool.
0: So I will. Uh, I'll link those in the show notes. And last but not least, one piece of advice for people learning Swift: Go, <laughs>
1: um, just engross your like do do projects, sample projects. Um, I think what a lot of people because I've listened to your backlog recently, a lot of people essentially said build a weather app. I don't. I'm never going to tell you to do that. I would say uh, just build little modules to understand little aspects like things that you want to understand. So if you understand how a collection view works, just put together a collection view and take data from Flickr or take data from some other platform. If you want to understand how uh, an estate formatter or time or the measurement API works, just build something that takes an input and output, but don't give yourself such a mammoth big project and scare yourself away from touching it because you wanna make sure that the UX is right and the UI is right. Just build it for the sake of building something fun so you can understand how the project works. So how the APIs work. I mean, Playground helps. So I use Playgrounds all the time just to test code, make sure I'm thinking about it properly. So build small things and um, look you know, look at Stack Overflow, look at GitHub, you know. Um, I give, I'll give you one really quick story. Um, I wanted to add a, I found a couple of small bugs in Swift, the language itself. Um, one, one was a missing feature. So I submitted it and I fixed it and it was accepted into the Swift library, um, nice. so released Swift through 3.1. So there was a function called XCT assert no throw, um, that didn't exist for, um, testing, uh, non-throwing except non-throwing functions. So that's going to be in Swift 3.1. Um, so that's also going to be in CoreLibs XCTest. But there was a couple other things that I found, one of which was. There is no warning on the compiler throws when you have a function that says it's going to throw, but doesn't actually implement throw or try or anything like that to actually show that it is attempting to throw. Um, so I thought there should be a, a, a rule at the compiler level, but there's a lot of backwards compatibility issues according to the conversation I had on on the bug Swift JIRA board. So I decided to make a Swift Lint rule, but to learn, I had no idea how Swift Lint actually worked under the hood. So I looked at how all the other rules were made and I looked at one rule that sounded similar to mine, something that like, just looks at small bodies of text and looking for a certain pattern. So that's how I learned how to build a SwiftLint rule. So that's what I have done. So it's been sitting for review right now for a little while. Um, they just, they need to do some more, I guess, serious testing on it because it, if it does get accepted, it's gonna be like a, def- a rule that's on by default. And they wow. wanna make sure that it passes all the various tests to make sure that when something is thrown, when you say you're gonna throw and you don't actually throw that it, you know, SwiftLint throws a warning for you. So, so that's how I learned how to do that, just by just by looking at other people's code and kind of building it backwards. Like that's how the way my head works, reverse engineering. So your fork of SwiftLint, that's what you you worked on that and added that? Uh, yeah, it's still in a pull request. Um, it passed all the tests. But I just think it needs to be like reviewed more by the main project managers, I think from the conversation I had the other day with someone.
0: That's awesome, man. And so in the
1: rule, you created that I mean, it's it's going to be in called, Swift, right? It's in Swift. Yeah, uh, Here it's ca- going to be called unhandled
0: throw rule.
1: Yep. So it's just a bunch of regex, um, regular expressions that check to see if you have a certain function that has certain rules implemented or not implemented. Um, so if you've essentially have a function that is marked with throws, but you're not actually throwing of the many different ways you could possibly throw, it'll throw you a warning. Is that that's the whole point of that rule?
0: Wow, that's so cool. I think that. Uh, a talk would that you could do potentially would be like you know contributing to open source uh, which is what you just said but like uh also swift like contributing to open source swift so i'm not sure if that's what you were you were going with kind like, of i'm um, trying to learn how to contribute to open source swift and it's kind of difficult at least it for is me. a
1: pain it was a pain in the butt and it's not No, no one is at fault for that it's just you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what the actual processes are until you actually try. You get into right. it, and I, you know, I didn't realize how they do their testing. Their testing is totally different, like how they test their code. They have some scenarios or some different way of testing that I've ever done before, and I can't even explain what it is because I, I, it was just like uh, one of those things where I was in a haze the entire time because I was staying up really late at night, getting trying to get this in before the Swift three point one deadline came around. So all I know is that I eventually got it in. I had like a conversation that was like 60 or 70 comments deep on both um, the Swift, uh, Swift repo and the, lib, uh, the XC test, core libs XC test repo, because there was a bunch of issues I had trying to set up a local version of Swift and local version of core libs XC test because the pull requests were all out, you know, everything was out of date. I didn't know how to merge properly into what what I needed. It was really weird. It was like a it, really weird scenario. It, it took very me like a whole
0: day just to build uh, build Swift. But the cool thing is that uh, people on Twitter like uh, Michael Illsman um, mm-hmm. and um, another guy. Oh, um, Quantum AI, I think, is his name on Twitter. I can't remember. Um, yeah, anyways, there's people on Twitter that I think either work for Apple or... You know, they're really big into the open source Swift community. They're willing to help. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much, Arthur, for, you know, sharing your story. Oh, co- Codify. I'll link to him. Codify. Yeah, Codify. yeah. Codify
1: is smart guy. Really smart guy. He helped me a lot. Um,
0: I will. Uh, I'll link to, to him in the show notes. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, Arthur, for coming on uh, I don't know, just sharing your story with us, man, you got, you know, you got your first, well, actually you didn't even have your first computer. Your dad like somehow showed you the internet, I guess. And right. He like showed you yeah. the internet and then you started like making uh, websites with like fire, angel fire or something like that. Angel and, fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, just kind of continuing your interest outside of school. You didn't really study in, in high school. You didn't really study too much in, in college. Um, I mean, I guess you did sort of have like you had a little bit of like, st- like what do you call it, physics, compu, sci, or something like that?
1: Uh, it, like related to your physics degree? I mean, it's logic, it's all like logical thinking, critical yeah. thinking.
0: And, and then, uh, you know, you're doing your like PhD all the while, you're still building websites and you're building those like Firefox extensions. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you get scouted by Fueled, had no, you had zero mobile development experience, but you just went for it and you built like a bunch of apps. For them in like 10 months and you know you decided to just see what else was out there and you ended up working for a startup and uh, then you um, ended up working where you are now at the Washington Post and you know contributing to open source and uh, yeah just I don't know just really 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 awesome story I think Uh, the challenge the like the risk that you take in and the fact that you're you're aware that like when you take risks and you succeed it you know makes you better prepared to like take the next one it's really really powerful stuff so thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story and i look forward to speaking with
1: you again soon sure thank you very much for having me i really appreciate it it was fun and
0: that's the show ladies and gentlemen i hope you enjoyed listening to the swift coders podcast feel free to share the show with a friend leave a review on itunes or recommend us on overcast If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.